How many of you uh, watched the football game that happened last Sunday evening? Right. Some people watched the game for the game. It was a good game until the controversial call at the end, according to some. It was a great uh, evening of watching football. We had a youth uh, party here. They watched some of it there and uh, enjoyed time and fellowship. Maybe you joined with some other people. But one of the reasons a lot of people watch the Super Bowl is not for the football, right? It's for what? The commercials. Nobody said, Rihanna, that's good. Commercials. It's for the commercials. And uh, so people watch for the commercials. And there were lots of interesting commercials, but there was... A couple of commercials in particular that, according to one survey, received the second or third most talked about social media interaction. They had two commercials. One was a 30-second spot, and the other was late in the game, actually near the time when it was really close, in the fourth quarter, I believe. That was a 60-second spot, and it was an ad for Jesus. How many of you saw the He Gets Us ads, right? So He Gets Us has been around for a while. In fact, it started putting out uh, commercials last year in 2022. Some of you may have even seen, if you're a baseball fan, you watch baseball games. Um, I'm a Cardinals fan. I watch a lot of the Cardinals games. And on the, you know how now they have ads when you're watching baseball behind home plate? A lot of them would have HeGetsUs.com. HeGetsUs is a non-denominational, $100 million funded advertising campaign for Jesus. Anonymous private donors had given to it. They haven't released those names, although the president and CEO of Hobby Lobby has said that he is part of it. And what's interesting about it is that it tries to give depictions of who Jesus is, but it does it in a way that kind of it goes counter to the way people might have thought about Jesus. And so it's about his love for children. And unless you're like a child, you can't come to me. Or the one that sparked some discussion online for sure was the 60-second spot near the end of the game that had just images of people yelling at each other. And it said, Jesus told us to love those we hate and those that hate us. He gets us. Here's what's fascinating about that is the headline that I read, I read two or three different headlines from uh, media organizations about the ads. The, the New York Times had something about the fact that they were coming out, that it was happening that night. They had quotes from um, a political Christian commentator in Atlanta, Georgia, named Eric Erickson, that wondered about the um, spending of that much money on it. And then they had Ed Stetzer. Some of you may know Ed Stetzer's name. He's a former um, Lifeway uh, leader, vice president, and is now at a college in the Chicago area. And uh, Ed is a leader in church growth, and he says it's for people that are spiritually curious. But this was the headline I saw the day after the Super Bowl that said that uh, he gets us about Jesus commercials intend to unite, but have made everyone angry. And they had quotes from people on the left and the right about how angry they were about the depiction in the ads. And I couldn't help but think as I was watching that and reading some of the reactions, 
about the idea that we all have really deep embedded feelings and understandings and thoughts about who Jesus is. And the world has opinions about who Jesus is, and they will tell you their opinions. In fact, when the commercials aired, people from both sides of the political aisle, people from all sides of the religious aisle, people tweeted and said what they thought, and most of them were critical because it didn't hit the mark for them in a specific area and their view of who Jesus is. Now, this isn't new, right? The idea that people have had varying opinions about Jesus goes back to Jesus. You may remember he in 3, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in those Gospels, there's a moment in all of them where he says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And none of them give the right answer for what people actually say. Well, you may be Elijah, or you're one of the prophets, or you're a great teacher. It's not that different than what some people think today. But then he turns and asks the question that is vital for them at that moment. He says what? Who do You say that I am. And Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so in this era of lots of talking about Jesus, I just thought for the next few weeks it would be good for us to hear from Jesus who he says he is. And while there are people out there that will tell you that Jesus' neighbor made claims of divinity, we're going to see over the next few weeks he absolutely did. There are people out there that would say Jesus would never say things about an exclusive faith. He absolutely did. And so we're going to look directly at what he says about himself. And there are, in the book of John, seven I am statements. There's another time he says I am, but it's not directly in this I am statements. And over the next seven weeks, that's what we're going to look at. By the way, this is going to lead us to Easter because to let you know the world is moving at a breakneck pace, Easter is seven weeks from today. If you're someone that has been practicing or thinking about that traditional moment when Christians have set aside in history leading up to Easter to set aside your mind about Lent and what's happening and preparing your heart for that, that starts this week. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at these I am statements of Jesus and we're going to start with the first one. I thought it was a pretty good place to start, right? John chapter 6. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6. And we're going to be starting in verse 22. Let me just say this right now. This is a lengthy passage of Scripture. We are in no way going to be able to cover every verse in this passage of Scripture. And we're going to jump around a little bit. So I want you to have your Bibles. There's going to be a lot of it on the screen. But I want you to have your Bibles open. I want you to read through it some other time maybe this afternoon. Look back at it this week. Maybe use this as your devotional this week as you prepare and think about what Christ is doing in your life. But this is the first time that Jesus uses the I Am statement. And starting in verse 22, he says, The next day, and we'll get to that in a moment, it's highlighted for a reason, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but the disciples had gone off alone. So, to understand where we are in the story, we have to understand what happened on the day before. And so, if you've got your Bibles open, you can look up to the day before, and there were two 
pretty significant miracles that happened the day before at the beginning of John chapter 6, right? What were those two miracles? The first one was feeding of the 5,000, right? Kind of a big moment in the history of Jesus' miracle working ministry. And then after that, it says they didn't know how he got to the other side. How did he get to the other side? He walked on water, right? So those are two pretty big deals. When you talk about the big miracles of Jesus, there's the resurrection from the grave. That's a pretty big one. Raising Lazarus, that's pretty big. Feeding 5,000 and walking on water are right up there in popularity of Jesus' miracles. And so it says the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side. Remember, he had dismissed the disciples. They got in a boat. They had left. He had spent some time with the crowd, and then he went out walking. When they woke up, when they got ready, when they came back down to hear Jesus teaching again, when they get there, he is not there. They saw that he had boarded, but he wasn't there with them, and so they begin to think in their mind, what is going on? Verse 24. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor disciples were there, they got into boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, this just sounds like a very innocent question, right? Hey, (laughs) just a quick question, Jesus. Um, We saw all the boats leave and you didn't get on them and now you're here. How did that happen, and when did you get here, and why didn't you tell us where you were going? Now, we're going to get to this in a moment. Why were they coming to Jesus that day? What were they expecting? They were expecting another meal, right? Like, why would they come back? Because they went yesterday and got a free meal, and they think, this is it. We'll we'll talk in a moment why there's a deeper understanding of that. But he says, why did you get here? When did you get here? And Jesus doesn't answer their question. He points to their hearts. Verse 26. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Verse 27. Do not work for food that perishes but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has sent His seal of approval on Him. Here's the first thing that we need to understand. The first thing that we need to to look at from this passage of Scripture is simply this. We need to live our lives in a way that we don't work for food that perishes. We're going to take our, by the way, we're going to take our points today almost directly from the scripture and the first one is this that we don't want to work for food that perishes he he looks at them directly and he says listen you're not here because you saw the signs now in the book of john when it talks about signs it's specifically talking about miracles jesus did but not the miracles themselves it's talking about the miracles as vehicles that point to an opportunity to believe in jesus as the son of god 
They were not miracles for miracles' sake. They weren't Jesus doing wonder-working power for the sake of doing wonder-working power. John tells us at the end of his book that he wrote all of these things that we might believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And he could write a lot more. But these signs were that they would believe. And Jesus says to them, you didn't come because you recognized the sign that pointed towards me being the Messiah. You came because you ate. And your stomach was filled. And then he looks directly at them and he says, Don't work for food that perishes. Don't invest everything you have in that that will fade away. They come to him wanting him to provide them daily manna. They come to him wanting him to provide for them food that would go into their stomach that would fill their stomachs for a moment, that would satisfy them for a day, but would not last, would not remain, and they are not coming to believe in Him as the sent Son of God. They were looking to be fed here and now. And Jesus says, if that's all you're here for, then you will walk away disappointed. There are very few things in life that are as disappointing as having an idea about something you want to eat from your refrigerator or your pantry and you go to pick it out. You get excited about it and you pick it out. Maybe it's leftovers. Maybe it's something you've, been, you've had in there for a little bit and you get it out and it's spoiled. Or as my grandparents used to say, rent. Anybody have any rent food in their house? It was bad, right? Or when you go to get that glass of milk and you open it up and you think, hmm, maybe, maybe that's just the edge, around the edge. You know, sometimes around the edge it gets, and you pour it out, it's like, ooh. Now, hopefully it doesn't have the, the you know, the giblets coming with it, but <laughs> it's just, smells bad, right? You get your hopes up and you're excited about it and then you go and it's like, oh. Jesus' point here to these people is that what's happening is they're coming to him for physical sensation and they were thinking too small. Think about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about that. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. I mean, God takes care of the birds. He'll take care of you. And he even tells them that you're seeking after all this stuff. But don't worry about that. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. He basically says you're thinking too small. You're, you're asking for a fleeting pleasure, something that you won't even remember tomorrow. Um, I was talking to my mom and dad recently about my gramps, uh, my mom's dad. Uh, we called him Gramps, Rex Edwards. And Rex was a fascinating man, one of the first men uh, that I ever knew that did a short-term mission project. He went to Philippines with his church. He was the church training director um, at his little small church outside of Dyersburg for like 45 years. They had rotating deacons as well, but they never let him rotate off. So he was a deacon for like 40 years in a row. He was a great man of God, but he was also one that had wisdom. As many of you probably remember your grandparents in that way. 
We would sit down and eat at supper. And one of the things Gramps likes to do, like to do, and some of this, some of you may be grossed out by this, but this is just who he was, was that he would take everything on his plate and it would all go together. How many of you out there are the food can't touch people? I mean, okay, Gramps was not that. And when he would pile it all together, somebody would inevitably go, ugh. And he would say, it's all going to the same place anyway. True. And then somebody say, yeah, but it doesn't taste the same right now. It's not as good. And he said, would say this, you won't know the difference tomorrow. True, right? And the idea he was having is similar to what Jesus is saying. You're, you're going to eat and tomorrow you're still going to need more. And you won't know the difference. Now let me tell you a couple of things he doesn't mean when he says don't chase after work or work for food that does not survive he doesn't mean everybody go quit their job today he doesn't mean stop providing for your family he just says when you encounter the living bread we're going to talk about it now you encounter the bread of life that what that does is it changes who we are when we taste and see that god is good it changes our perspective it changes our direction it changes who we are and the daily physical needs we have are not paramount anymore for people without Jesus, the thing they have to do is to take care of their daily physical needs. They have to make sure they have what they need. They have to be secure in that. But he says, when you have tasted the bread of life, you will realize that there are higher, better, more fulfilling things. And you shall be satisfied in it and not in what you are going to eat today or be gone tomorrow. The Jim Elliot quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that what he cannot lose. And what we see happening here is he's going to make a comparison because what they're really asking, what they're really wondering is, is this the one that God has sent as the next Moses? Because when you look at the Old Testament, Moses led the people out and they started grumbling and complaining. You remember this, right? Because they didn't have enough food. They were going to die in the wilderness. And what does God do? He provides for them manna. Every morning they would wake up and every morning they would go and collect the food for the day and they would eat the food for the day. Do you remember, though, the stipulations about that? They could only get what they needed for that day. They had to eat everything that day. And if they tried to store it, what happened? It spoiled. It was done. Except on Saturday, or except on the day before the Sabbath, because on the day before the Sabbath, they would be able to get two and they would last it for that day. It was the miracle of God providing manna for them. Well, there were some that thought, that was some that were taught that when the Messiah came, when the anointed one came, when the one that they had longed for came, that he would provide for them like Moses provided manna in the desert. And so they come to Jesus. They're fed one day in a miraculous way out of just a few loaves and fish and they think to themselves this might be the guy but you know how we find out if he's the guy we go tell him to make us dinner again and if he makes us dinner again then we're like that's two you know what we're probably going to need three maybe four five days to prove this is the messiah this is the one that moses has sent and they come to jesus and they're testing him by saying when are you going to give that in this particular passage, he says, which the Son of God will give you because the God the Father has set him aside for approval. In verse 28, they said, what can we do to perform the works of God? 
They're basically saying, okay, so show us, show us, prove to us that you're Messiah. Give us some more. And Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe. That's a word that is in John again and again. We'll see it all through these next few weeks as we study the book of John and the I Am statements. That you believe, that you put your faith in, that you put your trust in, that he has sent. You believe in the one he has sent. Verse 30. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they ask. What are you going to perform? And then here's where they get to the heart of the matter. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You see, they're testing him. They're saying, Jesus, all right, then we're ready. We're ready to believe. Show us. Prove it to us. Moses did it. Can you? Verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, it wasn't Moses that gave you bread. It was God. And he's giving you bread strength sent straight from heaven. And the people say, then give us this bread always. Show us where to get it and we will eat it. And in verse 35, you have the first time that Jesus makes an I am statement in the book of John. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. I am. The first statement that we see here about Jesus is this simple statement that he says that I am the bread of life. Now, it is filled with all kinds of meaning. Just that he uses the phrase, ego, I, me, I am, shows that he is referencing the Old Testament understanding of the personal name of God. The personal name of God in the Old Testament when Moses interacts with him. This is not... um, It's not coincidence that they're talking about Moses and the manna and Jesus comes out with an I am statement. Because Moses met with God and says, what is your name? And God told him what? My name is I am that I am. Or I am that I have always been. Or I will continue to be who I have always been. That I am the same today, yesterday, and forever is the basic understanding behind it. The simplest way to say that is I am. And so each time Jesus says the phrase, ego I me, I am, and then gives a qualifying understanding of what is there. That's the point in the other I am statement that we won't cover because there's nothing on the back end of it. In John chapter 8, when they say to him, Who are you, basically? And he says, before Abraham was, I am. It is that a statement of the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is claiming to be God Almighty. And as God, sent from the Father, as the Son, He is the bread of life. He's telling them in this place, That the answer to your need is not another meal. It is not a what. It is a who. Now several times in this passage, and this is where we're going to jump around a little bit. In verse 35 he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. In chapter uh, chapter 
6, verse 47. He says, Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And I love this. He, he, he goes right at the Moses comparison again. Your ancestors ate man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. And then verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. He says what Moses provided, what God provided through Moses was a daily nourishment for your physical needs. I am the living bread that gives you eternal nourishment for your spiritual needs. For the deepest needs of who you are, I am the solution. I am the manna that provides all you need. And in this passage of Scripture, he gives us three things that this bread does for us. As the bread, he gives us three things. First of all, he saves us. It talks about that, that this come from heaven, you may not die. If you believe in me, you'll never be hungry or thirsty again. If you live and breathe and eat me, you will live forever. We'll talk about that phrase in a moment. The point that he makes is, Nothing that is physical can save your spiritual condition. But I can. Talking to a room like this on a day like this, most of you in this room, I would suspect, have come to a point in your life when you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when He has saved you. And I know in some circles that phrase, are you saved, is not as popular as it once was, but it's just the reality of what He does. He rescues us. He saves us from our sin. And my guess is most of you in this room have come to that place in your life, but I'm also believing that there are some in this room who have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that have not been saved by Him. And what the bread of life promises is that if you will trust in Him, if you will believe in Him, and who He claims to be, the Son of God, who lived a perfect life, who shed his blood for your sins and rose again to bring victory over death and sin. If you place your complete trust in him, you will be saved. Not only does he tell us that he saves us here, but he also tells us that he satisfies us. You won't hunger or thirst again. We live in a society and in a country of perpetual dissatisfaction. I read a statistic this week that said America currently has the highest per capita rate of boredom in the world. People in America say they're bored more than anywhere else in the world and nowhere else has as much stuff as we have to keep us from being bored. One of the greatest actors of our generation, Nicolas Cage, (laughs) once said that there is a hole in the soul of our generation. We have people that are in desperate need. We talked about the loneliness epidemic in our country. On Wednesday nights, our men are going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it is not a fun read. 
Because it's written by a man who had everything you could possibly want and he says, none of it brought me satisfaction. Wisdom didn't. Pleasure didn't. Work didn't. Riches did not. Nothing brought me satisfaction. And at the end, somebody commentating on what the teacher has said, who most people agree is King Solomon, who literally had it all, when he comes to the end and he says, basically, I I found nothing that gives me satisfaction. The commentator at the end of that in the book of Ecclesiastes says, we've come to the point of the matter. It is this, to fear God and obey His commandments. And in Him is the only place we can find pure satisfaction. Not only does the bread of life save us, not only does it satisfy us, it also secures us. There are four times in this passage of Scripture, in verses 39, in verse 44, in verse 54, there are times when He says that in the end, if we are in Jesus, He will raise us up. And the point of that is that we are secure completely in Him. So here's the question. At the end of all of this, the question is, what will you choose? We're going to jump to the end of this. There is lots of deep theological implications and deep theological discussions that could be had about the the discourse that Jesus does here, lots of meaty subject matter that we could spend two to three hours on, but we're not going to do that today. And all of God's people said, I got a couple of booze, that's good, all right? At some point we'll circle back around to that, hopefully. But you get to the end of this, and Jesus really starts to go down a path because they start to say, Who does this guy think he is? This is the guy that we know. This is Jesus, Joseph's son. This is the the teacher guy. What what does he mean? He's the bread of life. Like, boy, talk about an ego on the guy. And Jesus says, you're not going to have any part of me unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, that's too much, Jesus. And in verse 66... Of John chapter 6 it says, And from that moment, many of the disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. There's lots that happens before that, but basically you have a time in verse 60 where it says, This was hard teaching. Who can accept it? And Jesus doesn't stop there. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. You're misunderstanding. I'm being being, uh, metaphorical here. You don't actually have to eat my my flesh and drink my blood. He he doubles down on it. He goes, no, no, no. That's what has to happen. And you get to verse 66 and it says, From that time on, many came and didn't accomplish any, or didn't accompany him anymore. This was the height of Jesus' popularity. This was the top of it. And at the top of it, he says something to run him away. And it says, some of them never came back. And he then turns, it says, in verse 67, to the twelve. That's the apostles. That's the, 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 the twelve closest that he has. And he says, do you want to leave also? You don't want to go away too, do you? And at this moment, the twelve have a decision to make. The, the understanding is that he fed 5,000 the day before. You're down to a few today. For a couple of reasons. 
One is he didn't give them what they demanded. And secondly, because they could not understand what he was about. And you get down to the twelve. And Simon Peter, who sometimes sticks his foot in his mouth, gets this right. He says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You just told us you're the eternal life. We've come to believe, we've seen, you have proven to us who you are, and we know that you are the Holy One of God. What's the choice that you make today? And it's not just a choice of what you think about Jesus. It's not just a choice of what you hope to be true about Jesus. This is a question of, have you put your trust and your faith in Him. And since we talked about the comparison of the bread of life and the food, just as thinking about eating is not eating, just about know, just as knowing all the nutritional facts about food is not eating, just as understanding how the process of digesting food works in your life isn't eating, so too is thinking about Jesus not the same as eating, so too is knowing the facts about Jesus not the same as eating, so too is understanding how salvation works is not the same as believing. Anybody here use chat GPT? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay. It is our AI overlords that have come from us and for us. Chat GPT is an open source. I'm about to say a bunch of stuff together. It's going to make me sound very nerdy. Chat GPT is an open source AI chat bot that will have conversations with you. That they've opened up. And it is fascinating. I've played around with it a little bit. And the other day, I, just on a whim, I said, how does someone get saved? And it gave me the most lifeway VBS answer you could imagine. You have to accept that you are a sinner in need of Jesus. You have to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then at the end, it even said this. I showed this to Noah. We just kind of laughed about it. It even said at the end, and know that it is much more than just making an intellectual decision that it is about trusting your life to Jesus. Chat GBT isn't saved. I don't think AI... That's a whole other discussion, all right? <laughs> at some point, we may have to have that discussion. Just because you know the list doesn't mean you've believed in Jesus. So what about you? Have you? Have you trusted Jesus as the bread of life that will always supply everything you need? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you been saved? And if not, why not? And why not today? In a moment, we're going to have a time and the band's going to come up and we're going to sing and we're going to have a time of, of response. And I'll be standing down here. Noah will be standing down here. We'd love to have a conversation with you if you want to talk about what it means to be saved or you're ready to make that step. We'd love to have that conversation. 
If you're here today and you have been saved, can I just ask what you're placing your trust and your faith in? What are you depending on to meet your needs, to make sure that paycheck is what it needs to be, to make sure your kids are taken care of, to make sure your family is provided for? What are you trusting? Are you trusting your own ability or trusting your own circumstances? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you seeking that physical fulfillment to keep it going? Or are you depending on the Lord? Maybe today you need to come in to pray or just to have a conversation with the Lord about where you've been placing your trust. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, who believes in me, shall never hunger again and shall never thirst again. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we pray in this moment that your will would be done in this room as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, that you will give us wisdom as we navigate our lives on a daily basis, that we would trust and depend on you completely. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.